Well, good morning, church. We are going to continue this morning our look at the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read for you a couple of verses of Scripture. They're not consecutively found in the sermon. One is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, and then the other is in chapter 7, verse 12. And I invite you to listen to these words and begin to think about what these words mean. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor. And skipping over to chapter 7, verse 12. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, today we pray that you would speak to us in a way that we could understand. May your word come alive and may we come alive as we hear your word. Or may we be transformed to be a people who love you, a people who love one another, and a people who love the people in the world around us. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. During Jesus' ministry, there were a lot of religious Jews who were very jealous and suspicious of Jesus. They made it a goal in their life to try to trap Jesus to see if he could make some kind of uh, a theological mistake or some kind of mistake in religious practice in order that they might prove that he was a fraud. And one of the ways that they would do that would be that they would ask Jesus these questions intended to entrap Jesus. They really weren't interested in a dialogue. They really weren't interested so much in learning what Jesus thought. They just wanted to trap Jesus. So on one occasion, one of those folk came to Jesus with question. And he said, Master, what is the greatest of all the commandments? Now, really, that was a pretty good question. Because in the Old Testament law, there were some 613 different laws and regulations. And it was obvious these laws were oriented differently. They kind of had seemingly different levels of application and differences in importance. And the guy was asking Jesus this question that was really a good question. Was there one? that stood above the rest, was there one that would help folks to really understand what those commandments, all of those other 612, all about? Now, Jesus on this occasion took the man's bait, and he answered the question. And he said, The first and most important commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. But Jesus didn't stop there. He gave him something a little bit extra. And he said to this guy, he said, The second is very similar. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus made this amazing statement. He said, on this, all of the law and prophets rest. Love God, love your neighbor. How about you? Do you love God and do you love your neighbor? Now, the Sermon on the Mount 
is, as we've talked about, a message of Jesus of how we who are part of God's kingdom live out our lives. The sermon gives this practical guide of how we are to live. And it should come as no surprise to you that one of the central themes of this sermon is this message about loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor. Now, that's not new to any of us here. We, we've, we've heard that, that we're supposed to love everybody, right? We're supposed to love our neighbor as our said. But Jesus, in his message, gives this grand understanding of how we are to live that out. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, it, it's fascinating, as I've talked about on a couple other occasions as I've presented about the sermon. Jesus is masterful in how he designs this particular message. There are themes and thoughts are continually looped throughout that Sermon on the Mount. He is a master at how he's put those things together, and it's interesting to see how they overlap each other and add meaning to one another to help us really understand how we are to live out our lives. And talking about loving our neighbor is one of those kinds of things where there's so much in this sermon that I'm not just going to complete it today. I've got to come back to it again next week. And uh, Jacqueline is going to, to come along and talk a little bit about loving our enemies, which is a part of loving our neighbors. Now, Last week I shared with you that uh, there's a shift in the Sermon on the Mount. The first part talks about who are a part of the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, etc. Salt and light, we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. It's about who we are in Christ. And then this next section begins talking about how we live out that life as God's people. And as that section opens, Jesus says that he didn't come to abolish the law. Again, that, those 613 rules and commandments we find in our Old Testament. But he came to fulfill it. Now, if you were listening as I read the Scripture in chapter 7, verse 13, you'll find that Jesus really gives definition of what it means to love your neighbor. If you want to know how to love your neighbor, you ask what would I want that person to do to me? You know, the gold rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then Jesus says there in that passage, he says, on this, doing to others as you would have them do unto you, loving your neighbor, is what the whole law and prophets rest upon. Jesus used this masterful device in his sermon to give us the beginning point and the ending point of this section that really is about how do we live out our lives and how do we love our neighbor? And how do we love God? So first of all, you learn that if you're to love your neighbor, you need to live by this golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So you can ask yourself the question on many occasions. You know, I'm carrying something heavy into my home, and I, I would ask, what would I want my neighbor to do if my, if my neighbor sees me struggling to get that heavy load in? What would you want your neighbor to do? Yeah, to help. That's exactly right. Okay, you arrive at a new church. You've moved to a new community and you walk in the back doors. If you're new there, what would you want people in that church to do to you? Yeah, help you out to agree you. Exactly. If you're going through a time in your life where things are really difficult and you're, you're having a hard time, 
Uh, what, what do you want your friends to do? Do you want them to listen to you? Do you want them to be sympathized with you, be a part of what's going on, to be there for you? So living by the golden rule gives us this great guide of how to love our neighbors as ourselves. Very critical in understanding the kingdom of God as loving our neighbors. Now, Jesus here, though, gives even more definition to what it means to love our neighbors. Uh, when I was a, a teenager, I, a, f- a friend that I respected made a comment, and he said this. He said, those we love hurt us the most. Those we love hurt us the most. Now, that's not found in the Bible, by the way, but for some reason that statement has stuck with me now for nearly 50 years. 50 years. And I've thought about that statement. Off. You know, if I'm going through Walmart and I round the corner and I cut someone off and it upsets that person and that person curses me, I won't like it. I guarantee you I won't like it. And it probably will upset me for a few moments. But it won't be something that will probably stay with me very long because it's a chance encounter that person. I probably never will see that person again. And it will kind of fade away. But if someone I care about, if someone I love curses me, that hurts deeply. And oftentimes that hurt goes deep and it's very difficult to take care of. In most of our relationships, we have things happen that strain our relationship with the other. Words expressed in anger, an unmet expectation, some disappointing act that's done, a debt that's never repaid, a special day that is forgotten, an act that hurts us deeply. What does it mean to love one's neighbor in the context of relationships that are strained? Real life happens right here, doesn't it? Don't you agree? I mean, this is where real life happens for all of us. What does it mean to love your neighbor in that kind of context? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus clearly shares that his kingdom, the kingdom of God, is a place of reconciliation. Loving neighbor involves forgiving and being forgiven. Loving loving one's neighbor acts to restore relationships that are wounded and broken. Now, I've been around longer than most of you in the room. There are a few of you that are still older than I, and I'll remind you that as we're leaving today that you're older than I. But I'm older than many of you in the room, most of you in the room. I've learned this, that seeking forgiveness and forgiving are difficult. I find it's not something that just comes natural with me. It is challenging to ask for, to seek forgiveness, and to be forgiving. Both of these are acts of love that call for a special kind of people. 
And Jesus talked about these kind of people as he opened the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? He said, blessed are the meek. Meek are folks who have strength, but that strength is under control. To forgive and to be forgiven requires strength under control. He said, blessed are the merciful. People who forgive are folks who extend grace to others. That's what mercy is about. He said, blessed are the peacemaker. Isn't it interesting again how Jesus has looped these ideas together and that as citizens of the kingdom, God gives us something, creates in us who we are to be in the kingdom so that we can live out this reality of reconciliation, seeking and being forgiven. I have a, a clergy colleague friend of mine who shared a great story with me. He said one day he was turning right onto Hamill Road in Hickson from off of Cassandra Smith Road. Now I know that's not the part of town where most of you live, but I've lived on that area and I've, I've traveled those roads quite frequently in the past. And he said when he was turning right, he failed to see an oncoming car that was coming around the curve down the hill, and he cut that person off, and that person swerved around him to avoid hitting him. And he said the person rolled down the windows, shouted some explicatives, and saluted him with a single finger. I'm not going to demonstrate that, by the way. You know what I'm talking about. Now, it just so happened that my friend caught up with the guy who was offended at the traffic light at 153. The traffic light caught this guy. And so my friend pulled up beside of this guy who was so upset that he had been cut off. And my friend motioned for him to roll down the window. Isn't it interesting we motion somebody to roll down the window and nobody has one of those handles in their cars anymore? We have this little button, but that just doesn't work, does it? Just go like that. They have no idea what you're talking about. But they know, at least those of us who've lived a few years know about what rolling your windows down. So the man rolled down his window, probably expecting that this guy in the other car was going to give him a bit of his mind, shout some explicatives, and do whatever was to be done. And, you know, the fight would be on. But my friend looked at him and said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. And the other guy replied, first of all, with silence, and then said, uh, uh, it's okay, it's okay. Seeking forgiveness isn't easy, is it? Seeking forgiveness isn't easy. And yet, it's what loving neighbor is about. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, if you're in the midst of worship expressing your love to God and you remember that you have someone that has something against you, he said, stop, leave that place, leave your gifts at the altar for God and go be reconciled to that sister or brother. Now, what if this morning, right now, all this place empty because we went to seek forgiveness? Seeking forgiveness is central to the message of the kingdom and loving others. And yet, seeking forgiveness isn't something I'm eager to do. I, I 
I may want to be forgiven, but am I willing to take the steps to seek forgiveness? How about you? You see, seeking forgiveness involves admitting the hurt or wrong caused to another person. I cut you off. I was angry and said things that I believe hurt you. I didn't show respect by being on a time for my point. I made a mistake and violated our relationship. It's admitting my faults and failures. I don't know about you, but I don't like to admit my faults and failures. Seeking forgiveness also requires vulnerability. We must take the risk of placing ourselves before the other, not knowing how the other person will respond. Fortunately, most of the time when you go to another person and say, I'm sorry, they offer forgiveness. But there are some occasions when that other person doesn't, and they light into you when you're seeking forgiveness. They empty, they do this cart. Uh, uh, they, they do this thing of emptying themselves of all the stuff that's in them and really let you have it. But that catharsis may be the very thing they need to come to the place where they're able to forgive and to be set free. Paul wrote, he knew how difficult this was. He knew that it didn't always work. And so he, he wrote these words. He says, so as far as it depends on you, live at peace, live all. You can't control how the other person will respond, and you're vulnerable when we seek forgiveness. But that's what kingdom people do. That's what kingdom people do. So, if I am the offender, I seek forgiveness. But what should happen when I am the offended? In the sermon... Jesus loops us to the answer of that question in, a, in part of the sermon where he's talking about how we are to pray. And we know the prayer that he taught as the Lord's Prayer. We pray kind of the version that's in Matthew and the version in Luke. They're kind of combined for us. And in that prayer, Jesus says, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. And then, it, then in that prayer, then he says to the Father, forgive us our debts or trespasses is the Luke version, the one that we use as Methodists, is we forgive our debtors or those who trespass against us. We are to be a people who forgive those who have offended us. Now, I've mentioned, for me personally, seeking forgiveness from another isn't easy. And neither is forgiving when I've been hurt easy. Do y'all agree? Now, sometimes it's rather easy. I mean, you know, the, the offense is small. But if the offense is significant and the offense goes deep, it's hard to forgive. It's hard to forgive. Forgiving has three critical steps. I wish we had plenty of time and we would go and dive into these. And I've, di I've di dived, dove, divin, whatever the word is, down into these in the past. And you probably could go search through the sermons online and you could probably find messages about forgiving. But three steps. Release, giving up the right for revenge and releasing the person into God's hands. Renew, having your soul renewed and healed from the hurt, offense, and pain and reconcile the damaged relationship restored. 
Now, I want to quickly say that that final step isn't possible in every situation. Sometimes it's not healthy to have a reconciled relationship with certain people if they haven't changed significantly. But those are the steps. Jesus told a powerful and poignant story of forgiveness. He said there was a, a man who had borrowed a significant amount of money from the lender, and the lender came to the point where it was time to call in the debt. The loan was due. And he went to the man who owed him the money, and the man who owed him the money said, there's no way I can pay back this enormous debt. I don't have the resources. And you know what the lender did? He forgave the debt. Isn't that sweet? Then the man who was forgiven remembered that there was a man who owed him a much, 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 just really a tiny amount of money. And he thought, it's time for him to pay the debt back for me. And so he went to the man who owed him, and he demanded payment. And this man lacked the resources to pay even that little, about, little bit of money. And you know what the lender did in that case? He forgave him, right? No, you know the story, many of you do. No. He demanded payment, and the man couldn't pay him, and so he had him thrown in debtor's prison. Now, there's something about that story that rubs us raw, doesn't it? A man forgiven much, unable to forgive a little. And that is the story of God in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. God has forgiven us of much. Now go forgive your neighbor. Go love your neighbor and forgive. Paul wrote to his friends at Colossae, Forgive each of us just as the Lord has forgiven you. I'm indebted to James Bryan Smith who has helped me understand a critical aspect of forgiving. We can and do forgive because God has forgiven us. John wrote in one of those little letters toward the end of the New Testament. He said, we love because God first loved us and we can forgive because God has forgiven us. We can forgive because God has forgiven us. Smith makes two strong comments in his book, The Good and Beautiful Community. He says, On our own, in our own flesh, we do not have the strength or capacity to forgive the trespasses of those who trespass against us no matter how hard we try. I believe he's right. I don't have it in me. I don't have the strength. I don't have the willpower. I don't have the ability to forgive on my own. And then he goes on to write, we can only forgive when we know we have been forgiven, when we are certain that we live in a strong and safe kingdom of God. Gosh. God's kingdom, its standard, is loving neighbor. It's guided by this golden rule. 
Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. His kingdom is a place of reconciliation where we seek and we give forgiveness because we have received the grace of God. Hallelujah. What a place to live. What a way to live. So today, have you received that grace of God? Are you living in communion with God who loves you and forgives you that much? His arms are wide open. He's offering love and forgiveness. You may want to respond by praying to this altar as the band comes forward to play for us and lead us in a time of worship. You may want to just, as we're singing, just allow your heart to bubble up and overflow to God. But let's experience that grace of God so that we can live in this kingdom and that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen? Amen. Amen.